Uh, greetings, everyone. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church. Uh, we are in a sermon series on the Gospel of Matthew, and we've come to Matthew chapter 12. And our current uh, series is called Jesus and. And each week, we will fill the blank with a conversation Jesus has with a particular group of people. And so far in this series, we've looked at Jesus and the doubters, Jesus and the unrepentant. And last week, I preached on Jesus and the weary. Today, we're going to look at another category of people who seem to be prominent in the Gospels. Now, as soon as you hear this word, I know what your immediate reaction is going to be. And names of people you know will come to your mind who fit this description. And you will say to yourself, that's not me. I don't belong to this group. I did the same. I totally distanced myself from this group. But as I started to prepare for this week, I realized that I'm not as innocent as I thought I was. Uh, though we all would like to disassociate ourselves from this category, you can't help but notice shades of these traits in our own lives. The category of people that I'm referring to are the legalists. We're going to see what Jesus had to say to the legalists of his time and how it applies to people today. Let me ask you an honest question. Have God's people ever driven you nuts? Have Christians given you a hard time? Now, I'm not talking about people from Center Street Church, for I know we all are amazing. But I'm referring to some of these other Christians who go to other churches. No. You know, there are difficult Christians in every church. Even if you start a church in Mars, it's going to be no different. As a matter of fact, I have a, a great book in my library called Well-Intentioned Dragons, Ministering to Problem People in the Church. And I wish I can say I never have to open this book. An old preacher once said, there are problem people in the church because wherever there's light, there's bugs. And if some Christians have driven you crazy, you are not alone. A car had a bumper sticker that said, Lord, save me from your followers. I'm sure you've run into a follower of Christ who made your life difficult because of the way they enforce their beliefs or for their convictions or stands on something that is trivial or non-essential. Now, all through the ages, people have had negative experiences with legalistic Christians. The famous uh, German philosopher and atheist, Friedrich Nietzsche, who's well known for coining the phrase, God is dead. Nietzsche was uh, so repulsed by his encounters with legalistic Christians that he said, I'm going to need to see a lot more of them redeemed before I believe in their Redeemer. Uh, amen to that. As a new Christian, I came at the receiving end of uh, legalism for the first time. The church that I attended celebrated the Lord's Supper. And as a new believer who was passionately in love with Jesus, I was excited to participate in this celebratory meal. 
Uh, we were a small church. My pastor would personally hand the elements to people. And as he was going by that day, uh, he stood beside me and then he walked past me. And I wondered, like, why was I omitted from this meal? Am I not a Christian? Am I not a follower of Christ? And the response I got was, well, you're not baptized yet. Is baptism a requirement to participate in the Lord's table? Where did they get that? It's not in the Bible. And as an 18-year-old, I started to preach. And my church wanted me to bring the word one Sunday. And when I went up to preach from the usual place where my pastor preached from, they told me, well, you can't preach from this pulpit. So they gave me a small music stand and made me stand in a different corner. And I found out later that's because I was not ordained. I didn't know that such a hierarchy existed, that only ordained people can use the pulpit and the less ordinary ones have to use a music stand to preach from. But whether we use a pulpit or a music stand, does it have any bearing on the power and authority of God's word? You know, while we all know that we cannot remove any verses from the Bible, I want us to know it is equally dangerous to add verses to the Bible. All of us have run into one form of legalism or the other in the church, and probably we all are guilty of it as well. Let's read our text for today to see what Jesus had to say to the legalists of his time. Wherever you're watching this, I'm going to ask you to stand to honor the reading of God's word as we read from Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 8. At the time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, we thank you for the rest and the replenishment that you bring to us. For we know that you alone are the source of all rest, that without you, our hearts are restless. We pray that you will speak to us today, Lord, through your word in a fresh new way. You help us to be in tune with your voice and you will personalize this message for us, convict us and challenge us through the power of your spirit. 
We ask this in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Let me start with a definition of legalism. I'll help us to see what exactly is happening in the passage of Scripture that we just read. Legalism is the tendency to regard as divine law things that God neither requires nor has forbidden in the Scripture. It is a religious spirit that creates rules and expectations that are not from the Bible. Yet we start judging others for failing to live up to these rules. Legalism creates an artificial standard of godliness that is purely based on the externals. Such an attitude steals the joy from our faith and turns the Christian life into a burden. The Pharisees during Jesus' time were not bad people. They were very zealous for the law. They were fervent in expressing their convictions and saw themselves as people who had been set apart by God. The Pharisees, in fact, commanded great respect in the community. Yet despite all that, Jesus condemned the Pharisees and his harshest words were directed at this group. He called them blind guides, whitewashed tombs, hypocrites, vipers, fools. Now, those are strong words. And it may surprise you that these words actually came from the mouth of Jesus. If that is any indication it gives us an idea of how Jesus reacts to legalism. On a Sabbath day afternoon, Jesus and his disciples were taking a stroll. And as they were walking down this path, bordering agricultural land, the hungry disciples started to pluck some grain so they can eat. Now, they were not stealing the grain. God is God had instructed the Israelites not to harvest the edge of the field so those who are poor and hungry can help themselves to it. So it is clear that Jesus' disciples were not doing anything illegal. Now, wherever Jesus went, he was being followed by some of the Pharisees. They wanted to find fault with Jesus by setting a trap. So the Pharisees accused Jesus and his disciples of breaking the law. For they were working on the Sabbath by collecting grain. But that is just a ridiculous accusation. And the disciples were not harvesting grain with their big combines and tractors. They were just having a snack. But that was being termed as wrong by the Pharisees who thought it broke their rules. Sabbath was God's gift to his people. It was a day of rest, replenishment, and worship. Legalism took the gift from God and turned it into a spiritual burden. The Pharisees added to the Sabbath a whole lot of complex laws. 
The Old Testament merely stipulated that Sabbath was to be a day of rest from work. It was simple and straightforward. But for some reason, the Jewish leadership thought it was a bit ambiguous as to what constituted work. So they came up with 39 additional prohibitions to help them bring clarity. And all of this was done with fear and a negative motivation so not to break or violate God's commands. Can you see this? They took something life-giving like Sabbath and turned it into a chore, something you dread. And that's what legalism is really good at. And in fact, that's the yoke that Jesus was referring to in the previous section we talked about last week. Rules, regulations, restrictions, commands. The common people were being burdened with all this stuff. The Pharisees thought, we caught Jesus and his disciples red-handed. For they have broken the laws of the Sabbath. When Jesus heard the accusation leveled against his disciples, he immediately comes to their defense. Look at verses 3 and 4. He, Jesus, answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. So Jesus is giving an example from the Old Testament where it appears from the book of 1 Samuel. King David broke the law of God. While fleeing from Saul, David and his men take refuge in the tabernacle. They are hungry and desperate for food. And David comes to the tabernacle and asks the priest if he would give them something to eat. The priest says, Well, I'd like to help, but all I have is this consecrated bread. This bread was replaced every week, and the old ones were to be eaten only by the priests. The law required that. Because they were the only ones holy enough to dine at God's table. But that would soon change through the coming of Jesus. For every believer is invited to dine at God's table through the celebration of the Lord's Supper. That is a a profound thought, but that will be a sermon for another day. But what we see here is, the priest in this case sees the dire need of David and his men and makes an allowance for them and gives the bread to these hungry men. And David and his men eat the consecrated bread and nothing happens. They're not struck by a lightning bolt from heaven or some form of judgment. David is not being condemned for his actions even though he had broken the law. And Jesus was using the story to correct the Pharisees' narrow, restrictive view of the law. God is not waiting for the moment you fail so he can crack down on you. That is a wrong image of God. Now, it's interesting to note, 
God may not be offended at some things that we are offended as humans. Now look at the next illustration Jesus offers in verse 5. Or haven't you read in the law? You know, that phrase is, is intended as almost an insult to the Pharisees who knew the law inside out. So Jesus is provoking them with this statement. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent? When Jesus says to them that the Sabbath in the Jewish community was valued highly. The entire community ought to participate in this. So everyone gets to relax during Sabbath. But the priest still had to work in the temple and offer sacrifices on Sabbath day. So it was not a day off for the priest while everybody else enjoyed their Sabbath. It's pretty similar to today. You know, you may have Sunday as a day off, and that may very well be your Sabbath day. But Sundays are the busiest days for pastors. We work on other days too, not just Sundays. Just wanted to make that clear. But weekends tend to get busier for pastors. So if we are bound strictly by rules that a particular day has to be a Sabbath, then priests in the Old Testament and pastors today will be guilty of breaking the laws of God. But God is not legalistic in how he applies his laws. But the church sometimes can get very legalistic. Jesus is calling us to move away from the externals and focus on things that really matter. The issues of the heart. Now let me give you an illustration to help you to understand the difference between legalism and religion and the freedom Jesus offers us. A picture, a thirsty person holding a cup. Even if this person has a fancy cup, an ornate cup, a cup worth millions of dollars studded with diamonds, they cannot quench your thirst for you need water inside the cup. The cup merely holds the water. Every religion, including the religious forms of Christianity, is like that. They make a big deal about the cup, failing to recognize that an empty cup cannot quench your thirst. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Don't be fixated on the externals. For ma what matters is what's on the inside. Now look at verse 7. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's a quote from the book of Hosea. So I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. God desires mercy, not sacrifice, not legal observance. 
The Pharisees were the exact opposite. They showed no mercy, and it was all about sacrifice and legal observances. When we read any commandment in the Bible, we need to not only ask, what does the Scripture say? But also, what does the Scripture mean? And there's a big difference between the two. The Pharisees elevated the letter of the law while Jesus focuses on the spirit of the law. And that's what attracted simple, ordinary folks to Jesus. They flocked to listen to him teach. Because Jesus was not just enforcing laws and rules and regulations, but he showed the spiritual intent behind the laws. Now let me use the Sabbath to clarify what I'm saying here. When you look at the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. So Sabbath is a commandment. It's not optional. But the question is, are we going to treat this Sabbath as a rule? Or a gift. A rule mentality asks the wrong question. It is framed negatively. It will lead you to ask questions like, what am I not allowed to do on the Sabbath? What are the things that I should refrain from so I don't break the Sabbath laws? Which day should I keep as the Sabbath? Is it Saturday as per the Old Testament? Sunday as per the New Testament? Is it my day off according to my work? All these questions are simply to do with the external elements. The Sabbath was never intended to be a legalistic duty. The last thing God had in mind is for us to feel so overwhelmed and, and feel the pressure of all of it and say, oh, no, it's Sabbath tomorrow. That's not what God had in mind at all. He wanted Sabbath to be a day that we eagerly look forward to. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is not canceling the Sabbath. He's not declaring you don't need to observe Sabbath anymore. But he is questioning the legalistic interpretation of the Pharisees. Jesus is helping us to see the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. For God's purpose for Sabbath is to bring a new rhythm to our life. We work six days and rest one day to replenish ourselves and renew our relationship with God. So much so, this one day has an impact on how we live our life the other six days. Sabbath is a day of worship. Not a routine or a drudgery that we somehow have to endure. But it is given for our benefit. So the question is not what I shouldn't be doing, but what can I do on a Sabbath day that will be life-giving to my soul? God gives us the freedom to make those 
decisions. Sabbath teaches us that God's love for us has nothing to do with our productivity. Even the day you don't work, God still loves you the same. We cease from work and the need to accomplish because our work and identity are not tied to what we do. It really doesn't matter how important your job is. If you look to your job to give you your identity, then you have it wrong. And the day you choose as your Sabbath, engage in activities that will draw you closer to God. Take a break from the regular, monotonous routines and instead do something that you really love doing, what gives you pure delight. The Bible does not provide us with elaborate details about how to keep the Sabbath because rules can easily become an end in themselves rather than being the means. We lose the freedom of the gospel when we turn a commandment into something legalistic. Every commandment of God should be viewed in this way. Don't have sex before marriage. It's not to deprive you of pleasures. It is to enrich your sexual life and preserve the sacredness of sex that our culture has clearly lost. Give generously for God's work. It's not to keep you from enjoying your resources, but you have the joy of stewarding God's resources and being a blessing to others. Be part of Christian community. It's not, oh, I have to put up with these people and give up on my individual life. No. You need the community around you to care for you and help you grow. It's God's gift to you. So that is what Jesus means when he says, God desires mercy, not sacrifice. Here's another observation from our text. Legalists are all about rules. Christians are to be all about Jesus. This text, in a profound way, highlights the identity of Jesus. Now notice two things Jesus says in this text that refer to himself. I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. And the second thing he says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. The Jews had a very high view of the temple. It was the embodiment of God's presence, a sense of pride, because it was seen as a physical confirmation that God dwelt in their midst. And Jesus says, you think the temple is amazing? I want you to know that I am greater than the temple. And just dropped at that moment. 
And just in case he had not ruffled enough feathers, Jesus says again, if you think the commandments are so great that you religiously live by the commandments almost to the point of worshiping them, I want you to know I am the Lord of the Sabbath. No human teacher in Israel had ever said anything like that. The Pharisees who had mastered the Old Testament knew very well one person was greater than the temple and the Sabbath, and it was God himself. So when Jesus says, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, and we today may not fully grasp what he's getting at. For you and me who are not Jewish, we may not find this to be a big deal. But for the Jews, this was huge. For centuries, Sabbath gave the Jewish people their identity. That they've been set apart by God. To say that I am the Lord of the Sabbath was a radical declaration. Jesus is saying, I decide the true meaning of Sabbath because I created it in the first place. Ultimate Rest, Jesus says, can be found only in me. The word Sabbath simply means rest. The word is closely related to the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace and wholeness. Sabbath is serving as a mere pointer to something far greater. Like a sign, it points to the permanent rest or shalom that Jesus brings. The one day of rest is a foretaste of the rest that we will experience in the fullness of God's presence in His kingdom, in the new heaven and the new earth. That's why when Jesus says, Come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. It is the same word used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for Sabbath. Come to Jesus to experience the true, lasting rest. Jesus' kingdom is not about rules, but what sets Jesus' kingdom apart is the relationship he offers to all who come to him in repentance. Let me close with this. As you read Christian history, several Christians in the past went down this legalistic path and found out that it had no power to save. Only Jesus and his gospel can bring transformation. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, one of my heroes of faith, lived a very religious life. When studying in Oxford along with a few friends, Wesley formed what was called a holy club to live a disciplined life and give themselves to the study of the Bible, prayer, fasting, and acts of charity. 
diligently following all of these extensive commands did not bring lasting joy or satisfaction in Wesley's walk with God. Wesley even went as a missionary from England to America, hoping somehow that will help him to earn God's favor. He still remained distressed on the inside. He questioned his salvation and never had this sense of assurance. John Wesley wrote of his experience in America. I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? And shortly thereafter, at the age of 34, John Wesley and his brother Charles experienced God's grace in Christ. On May 24, 1738, John Wesley attended a meeting on Aldersgate Street in London. And he wrote in his journal this now famous account of his conversion. Listen to these words. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. And that experience changed the trajectory of a legalist. He quit striving in his own strength and learned to rely on God's grace alone to carry him through. Legalists of his time didn't allow Wesley to preach this message of salvation by grace through faith inside the church building. The established church closed its doors to Wesley's ministry. And that didn't stop him. Wesley resorted to outdoor preaching that drew multitudes. And the rest is history. And as I said at the beginning of the message... There are shades of legalism in all of us. And if you feel convicted today, I want to encourage you to quit striving in your own strength or majoring on minor rules and regulations. Rather, learn to fully lean on Jesus. Cease from your poor attempts to Earn God's favor and rely on His grace, His grace that is all sufficient for you and for me.